and it makes you think, and that's the really only thing I want. I want to make people think and have a deeper integration by, by challenging their assumptions. Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how we can excel at dealing with the universe of information and the author of the book, Thriving on Overload. Every week, we share insights from information masters on how they transform today's avalanche of information into insight, foresight, and better decisions. For more goodness on this topic, be sure to visit thrivingonoverload.com, where there are wealth of resources to help you thrive, including all podcast episodes with transcripts, excerpts from my book, and if you are really intent on amplifying your information productivity, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, which helps you develop a personal information plan you can immediately put into practice. And be sure to sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter if you want to optimize your information productivity. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and give a rating or review on iTunes. It helps others interested in this topic to find these resources. Now, on with the show. On this episode, we learn from Michelle Bowens. Michelle is the founder of the P2P Foundation, working in collaboration with global researchers and exploring the potential of peer production. Bowens travels extensively, giving workshops and lectures on P2P, the commons, and the opportunities of a post-capitalist world. You can find more on his work at p2pfoundation.net, on Twitter at mbowens, which is M-B-A-U-W-E-N-S, and on his Facebook group, P2P Open Technology. In this episode, Michel shares insights on challenging presuppositions, metacuration, changing paradigms, creating narratives, and far more. Keep listening to learn from Michel's great insights. Michelle, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Yeah, Ross. So you live in a world of information. You find interesting things. You're piecing together how the world is working and what it could become. So let's start with your daily practices. When you get up, what do you do? So the first thing I do is actually read. So I have this kind of broad idea that you have to be immersed in different temporalities at the same time. So the web is like now. This is the zeitgeist, it's trends, patterns that emerge. And then you have to feel whether it's going up or down. And, and, but this is now, right? So it's embedded in more long-term patterns and, and, and structures. And for that, I, I read essays. So it's like you write an article for the web, you, know, you probably spend a day or two or maybe a week on it. If you write a more formal essay for a magazine or a journal or even a peer-reviewed journal, it's going to take you months, sometimes a bit more. And it's, you know, it's going to be like a synthesis of a lot more thinking and more time when you do that. But then the books for me are the ultimate, right? The book is, that's the really, you know, the long durée, the, the really long flow of time. And so my idea is you have to mix all three all the time. And I do that in a structured way. So I start actually with reading one hour and a half, which may not seem that much, but if you do it every day, you know, for, for dozens of years, it shows, right? You, and of course. so then, then I do half hour of reflection of, on reading because I, I believe in anchoring. 
you know, I work with questions. There's things I want to know that I don't understand. And so I'll read up to, to it until the moment I feel, okay, that's, I'm satisfied at my level at this moment. This is a good enough answer. And then I'll, I'll move to something else. And so I take notes on paper. I have actually, you know, one of them is here. You know, this is uh, just like a notebook. And I have probably like 35, 40 of them. And so I take notes. And then I, you know, I, I have the pleasure of living in a really nice village kind of environment in, in, in northern Thailand. I, I can see the mountains, you know, and I just lay down uh, in, a, in a long seat and I said, okay, what have I learned this morning? You know, and how could, is there anything that I've read challenging some of my presuppositions? And the reason I do that in the morning is it's just experience. Like when I start with the web, after maybe two hours, my brain just loses its capacity to focus. So I feel if I wait to read as I used to do to later, then it's just like, something happens at the almost chemi chemical level in my brain that you know just doesn't absorb it in the same way okay so that's that's my morning and then i spend three hours uh, doing curation and so that's basically not very scientific i'm mostly concentrating on facebook so i manage six different forums and one is called p2p um and I'm pretty systematic and maybe absolutist. So anybody who sends me anything, I open a tab. So uh, at any time, I have four windows with two, three thousand tabs. And of course, I get more tabs than than I can handle. Uh, and so this might seem weird, but I, it's in a way it's a meta curation. Why? Because what I'm, you know, I'm an influencer. And I influence other influencers, right? So most people connected with me are themselves at some level already at a somewhat higher level than the average person in terms of how they deal with information. And, you know, it's not scientific, it's not satisfactory, but, you know, I used to do blogs, I used to do this, I, you know, and whatever you do, it's always too much anyways, right? So I, I got at some point, at a level of popularity where I was just getting too many things from too many people. And I, I want to honor what they sent to me, right? It's, so people are tagging me and tell, Michelle, have you seen this? Michelle, have you seen that? And I feel the least I can do is actually honor that, look at it, and then redispatch it if I think it's adequate in, 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 in my own framing, right? And, and my framing is really, I still use Wilbur's four quadrants. Um, because it's non-reductionist, right? You, so you have subjective, objective, collective culture, and collective organizational technical. Um, so that's Ken, Ken Wilber's book. Uh, what's what's the title of the the book? The framework came out. I'm not sure, but I think it's a theory well, of everything. Probably, sure uh, or, yeah. I think so. Yeah. And you know, I I stopped reading him maybe ten years ago, but I have the collected works. I have eight volumes, and but I read it like you know in my twenties and thirties. And, you know, I, I can critique Wilbur and, and everything, but basically I think this as a heuristic method is very, very good because, you know, we don't know what's the chicken and the egg, right? Is it objective material conditions which create certain ideas? But we also know ideas are, are really important. They can change the world, right? So what is it? 
I don't know. So what I want to do is just like correlations, right? So we know that when this happens in this area, and we can see at the same time this is happening in this other domain. What is chicken, what is the egg, I don't know. But when you create positive feedback loops between them, we know that that is actually paradigm changing. And that's enough. Like if you are a change agent, like I want to be, then, you know, it's, it's, it's enough to know that, okay, if we can strengthen those links, right, of co-emerging things that seem to have like the same underlying logic, that's good enough for me. And so the basic idea that I have about change is that we have relatively stable, you know, dynamic complex systems. And we, and I look at three of them. One is nature, climate, environment, matter, biology, and all of that. The next one is human society and culture. And the third one is constellations of consciousness. How do we look at all of those things, right? And my theory is that they change in, in, in parallel. That if you have a change in here, let's say in the objective uh, climate environmental area, that is a challenge which demands a response to human society. And at a certain level, the society will fit the, uh, the problem. But then, paradoxically, because it solves a particular level of issues, it actually creates a new level of problems, right? And that then can only be solved if you also then adapt your mental constellations. So, so I want to come back to the beginning, because there's actually this around 10 different questions to dig into. So let's go back to the beginning where, where we started, and we'll come back to where we just got to now. So, so you start with books or essays. So how do you choose those books and essays? Do you have a list of them? How do, is, this, is this just part of the curation process that you line those up? Where, how do you select those uh, essays or books that you start the day with? So my, my intellectual development was that I had a big midlife crisis in my mid-40s. This is in the mid-90s. I thought that the world wasn't evolving in a positive way, that you know, all the indicators were read in terms of you know, biodiversity and ecological issues, but also social inequality and that. And I said, okay, what can we do about it? So my first step was to take a two-year sabbatical and look at transitions. And from that, I decided that the key today was around peer-to-peer -peer in the commons. So the, the capacity we have today to, through digital means to self-organize at a non-territorial level, that's the peer-to-peer -peer part. And the second part is the, the capacity that we have to mutualize knowledge and, and human organization doing that. Okay, so those two things in, are in my op option, the, the seeds of the future. And so I look at seed forms. So then I, in, my, in the second step, I looked at, okay, what is happening around this today? So I looked at open source, open design, open hardware. Then I looked at urban commons. Then I looked at you know, emerging new systems of monetary organizations like Bitcoin and the blockchain and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So basically the thesis is that there is you know, a geographic world, but we are adding a new layer, the new spheric layer, which has its own forms of non-territorial organization. And how are these two merging and converging and adapting or not adapting to each other? That's, that's the theme. So then I felt, this is more recent, maybe actually with COVID, 
that, uh, okay, I have to go back to the basics a bit more because what I'm seeing is that there's not going to be a smooth transition. You know, it feels like we are in decay, in decline, institutions are losing trust and are working less and less efficiently. And so I, I did like a second round and I call this civilization analysis. So I actually have a list. So I'm systematically going through the macro historians. You know, Spengler, Oswald Spengler, Toynbee, Carl Quigley, Gene Gebser, Joseph Campbell. You know, it's it's a very long list. I, I, I won't... I will die before I'm finished. Let's put it that way. It's, so it's really, so you start with a, a theme or what sounds in a way a, a, a posing question. There, you know, there is a question or a set of questions from which you, you find the essays from all of human history. Yeah, so, what, what, so the key question for me today is basically, okay, what were transitions like in the past? And is there anything we can learn today from, from those patterns that can help us, you know, find our way in the current transition and have s- at least some idea of where we are going. That's it. That's the question. It's a nice big, <laughs> big question to be asking. <laughs> yeah, it's a big question. I know. I know. Yeah, it's impossible to answer, but it's, you know, it's it, the, the path. The path is the way, right? The path is the way. So you said that after you read, you lie down and then or sit sit back and you think it was anything which challenges your preconceptions, I think your, your words were. So uh, is there, a, I mean, that's what I think not that many people are very good at. So is there a way that you just sort of sit with this and, and sort of say, is there something there which I, I think is meshes or doesn't mesh? Do you then take notes about that? How do you, how do you integrate that? Yeah, the hardest thing for me, and, and sorry if this is a bit controversial, but you know, before 1789, everything was religious. Like, if you wanted to change the world, you would say, you would come up with some religious argument that the Bible says this, or the Bible says that, or you know, the Buddha said this, or the Buddha said that. So that, that was like the, the framing of any debate. After 79, it becomes political, right? It's basically the left and the right in different iterations they're not the same all the time, but they kind of remain as those two polarities. And so I've come to the conclusion that this polarity is no longer functioning. So in other words, that we need to go to an integral point of view, an integrative point of view. And the problem is that in the transition, it's just the opposite that happens. So, so imagine this, you have an ideational glue that holds the system together, and then you either have a loss of capacity of the system to handle an existing level of complexity or a new level of complexity which it can't handle. For example, new medium like print or the internet that just overwhelms its ca- the capacity of the system to hold things together. So then you get fragmentation and then you get polarization, right? So you have the, the, the Christians versus the pagans, the Reformation versus the Catholics, and now it's the culture war. It's, 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 and so the problem for me and it's very hard to live that, is that at the very moment I want to go in integration, the world is going in the opposite direction. But for me, it meant because I, you know, I was a leftist all my life. I, I was really committed uh, to this particular set. And I'm saying, well, it seems like you know, this is not working and this is actually degrading. 
and the other side is also missing something. So can we create some kind of environment in which we can talk about the, the relative truth value of progressive leftists, you know, uh, convictions, but also on the right, right? And and it's a hard thing to do. It's uh, it's a very controversial thing to do because people now, are, you know, we're, we're back into the index times, right? Where they're forbidden books and they're forbidden people and they're forbidden ideas. And so it's it's very hard to do this. And but I think you have to think about what's next, right? So right now it's it's counter cyclical, but it's the only way out of a bad situation. You know you, that you have to go beyond those those antagonisms because the the new will be some some combination of the old and then stuff added to it. So this, this seems to be, I mean, in a way, a link between, as you say, you start with the, the reading and the digestion. You've got the fundamental ideas and questions, looking for the, the, the deepest ideas you can find to be able to feed that and to question that and to build your models. Right. But then it's going into the curation, which is the sharing. So this is part of where you are finding, you know, uncovering the ideas which, you know, within that community can then go out. So when you are, so you have thousands of tabs, you said, so lots of things which are thrown at you. So what, what are the, what are the filters? What are the ways in which you sort of say, yes, this is worth sharing, or this is not worth sharing? What are the, how do you assess that? In, what is the frame of mind? Is there a criteria? So remember the four, you know, the four levels in, in Wilbur, right? The four domains, right? So I start with the idea that I'll have three from each. So like, only 12, that's the idea, minimum 12 items that are the most significant in, in those domains, right? And so I, the first thing, and I cannot explain this, this is something that happens in my brain, is like, is this article, you know, crossing a threshold that it's actually worth talking about it, right? So 80% of what I see, I just don't do anything with it because I feel it's like repetitive of... You know, it's it's the same old, same old, you know, it doesn't bring anything new. Okay, don't pay attention to it. But I will be triggered by things, right? So, okay, this is something that challenges some idea, assumption, hypothesis that either I have or that the wider world has. And it makes you think, and that's the really only thing I want. I want to, I want to make people think and have a deeper integration by, by challenging their assumptions. And so I do that in my Facebook groups, and and that of course is uh, ephemeral, right? I mean, people don't go back to the to the archives. But then I have my wiki. Uh, my wiki has twenty three thousand articles divided into, you know, a few dozen sections, um, and there we'll have an encyclopedia because a, a tag in a wiki creates a, its own directory, and then I will have the section page that is like a ongoing synthesis that makes sense of the of the database, right? So if you want to know peer-to-peer -peer in the commons, in transportation, in health, in, in my wiki, you'll feel kind of like a preliminary synthesis of, of what is happening. And then every year, I write some kind of report that takes some area, uh, you know, so I, I did one on um, urban commons, you know, what's happening around urban commons and public policies around urban commons. I did one on, on new forms of accounting, you know, post-capitalist accounting, environmental accounting, and all those things. I did one on the thermodynamics of peer production. So, you know, how can we use mutualization and peer-to-peer -to, -peer 
to bring down our usage of matter and energy. Uh, so I, I, every year we'll take something of that nature and, and then make a synthesis. And, you know, that's the body of my work, basically. And then I have this kind of service orientation where, you know, if somebody makes a comment, I'll at the very least will like it or say thank you or say, you know, I will check your reference. So just making sure that people feel that, you know, it's not an empty bucket in which they're reacting, but there's there's a gardener uh, behind the scenes that, you know, keeps the whole thing moving. You are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. If you truly want to increase your information productivity, then check out the Thriving on Overload interactive course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits, guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com course to find out more. Now back to the show. So, so there's so, so much to dig into relevant to the thriving on overload. And so one of the things is frameworks. And so I would suggest that your categories or your structure or your taxonomy for the HP Foundation side is, is a framework. And so, I mean, I presume that, that, you know, that has evolved. It's not as if you sort of in one moment you came up with that. So perhaps you can talk a little bit about, I suppose, that process of creating that taxonomy as, as a framework for under, you know, uh, elucidating what the nature or the aspects of peer-to-peer uh, -peer is. Right. So, so the base level will just be like you know, looking at different domains and what's happening in a different domain. That's the base level. So health, spirituality, and I do everything, right? And that's, that's not given to everybody to do that. And it's maybe because of my life history. You know, I was, um, I was a leftist militant. I did a lot of human potential work. I studied spirituality. You know, I was into Western esoteric stuff. Then I was a startupper, so I know the business world. You know, I had two companies that I started. I did, I made a movie. I was editor in chief. So there's not so many people that can hop from one world to another. And I'm not saying I know everything, of course not. But most people have one or two domains, and I have a bit more than them. And so that allows me to, you know, have this kind of bigger picture approach. Um, so the next level would be either the, the four quadrants of Wilbur or the three complex uh, systems that I just explained, right? Mm. So, okay, so we have an objective world, I believe. You know, I'm, I'm a bit of pre-postmodern in that. I believe there is something out there. Um, then there is a human society that, in different ways, according to its civilizational values, tries to cope with, you know, what it is given. And then there is whether our ways of approaching it are actually appropriate or not at a particular time. And so there are times when, you know, people reacted more magically, there are times that people reacted more mythologically, and there are times when people acted more rationally. And maybe now we're ready for something else, because I, I actually think we are, you know, this is Gene Gebser, the basic idea that we are now in a deficient rational mode that you know the calculating mode has taken over everything and that we're no longer able to see quality and subjectivity and so we have this technocratic machine that is really like waltzing over everything 
and denying most of our realities out of you know really like efficiency driven profit driven motivations and and we're going in a wall that's that's my profound conviction that you know we we're, we're going into the wall and there's nothing we can do about going into the wall but we can start thinking about what's on the other side of the wall and how can you know how can at least the maximum amount of people go through this huge transition and i think it's the most difficult transition we had because you know civilization was a response to climate change actually right you have the the post ice age and that's what flooded the 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 plains of Egypt and Mesopotamia and dried out the northern Africa and that created civilization people decided no we want to stay here so we need to dominate nature and so civilization has always been about dominating nature and now we are at a stage where well we have to find some other paradigm to deal with nature yes uh, because you know we we overcompensated as humans and so basically we have you know 10,000 years of mental structures that have to be overridden and that's extremely difficult i i don't even claim i can do it you know i'm i'm just like everybody else i'm a you know i'm a product of my time yes well we are we are necessarily despite yeah i mean we we cannot be anything else so <laughs> So how do we do that and you know I I look at the past and I I I'm for the moment for example very interested in into you know monasteries and uh you know how like the Roman in the Roman empire had completely destroyed uh, local agriculture and then you have a bunch of people like Saint Benedict or Saint Bernard and they create you know one little thing that becomes viral and spreads in 70 years all over the continent Right so what's what's the equivalent of this today and I don't know but I looking at all the people trying this right that that's my job is observing what today pioneers are doing and obviously when a system is in crisis the solution not going to be in the same paradigm as the system in crisis so what what's the underlying paradigm and logic of the people trying to solve these fundamental issues in a new way yes and what is working what is not working right that's that's kind of my my approach so i don't have the answer but i try to learn from people who are experimenting in finding the answer yeah we we have to explore in order you know there's no we can't know ahead we have to explore and find that so the the fifth of what i call the five powers of thriving and overloaded synthesis and you know we talked about synthesis and integration and as you say in a world of fragmentation of ideas and societies and culture that we need to integrate uh in on all of those levels so what advice can you give to those who are wanting to be on that path of being integrative to synthesize to be able to pull together disparate ideas you know what have you learned or what is it that you can share that uh, others can learn of and on that attitude that propensity that capability Well I I think for me the most important now is that we need really make we need to make sure we have a plural information basis right so I mean before we were all happy to watch television and and you know we had a pretty much controlled environment so then we got this explosion of the internet and all kinds of you know people come out of the woodwork 
and have a voice. And the, the way I feel the system is reacting to it now is one is by reducing the, the narrative to, to like a really master narrative, which is repeated over and over again. You know, it's COVID or Ukraine, you get one story and it's just repeated over, over and over. And then the second step what they're doing is algorithmic control, making sure the other voices kind of stay in the background and don't come up. You know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but nowadays you do a Google search and it used to be that you had the most important answers in the beginning and then, you know, you could go down and down and down and that's gone. I don't, you should try it. If they just keep repeating the top answers over and over again. They literally disappear the internet. Like they're actively making sure that you don't get to see, you know, challenging ideas. And I'm not saying these challenge ideas are right. You know, I'm just saying that you should make an effort to make sure that you have a, a broad variety of information sources and that you, you can build it over time. You know, if you trust them, if you think that they're coherent and uh, factual enough, then you keep them independently of how they see the world because you, you want to know how other people see the world. And then out of that, I, I just make my own narrative and I have three simple rules like, is it true? So that means that you have to be ready to ditch something if you have countervailing facts. Like, you know, you believe vaccines work and then, you know, surveys and the research comes out and turns out they didn't work as well as we thought they were. Okay, well, okay, that's a new fact, right? You, you, you adapt yourself to the, to the scientific uh, research. The, the second level is with all those facts, what is the most coherent story that I can maintain. That's the second, it's just coherence, not nothing else. So it's not full. And you know, we all have our own level of how much coherence we can, we can build, you know, depending on, on our flexibility and knowledge. And the third level is how much hope can we create out of this? Right? Because whether the hope is real or not, uh, I'm always reminded of the story of Viktor Frankl uh, in Man in Search of Meaning, where he said, in the concentration camps, only two groups of people survived, the Catholics and the communists. Because anybody else who could not project outside of the hell they were living in, let themselves die. Because, you know, this is, if this is life, it's, it's not worth living. And I'm going to die anyway, so I might as well, you know, suffer uh, less, less long, right? But the, those people were able to project either, you know, to the, the next world or to the next physical world as an utopia. And because they shared their ideas, the second level advantage was they could actually organize together. And so they became a counterpower. Anyway, and then he also says, and this is very interesting, he says, if you, if you are a pilot and you want to go from A to B, if you aim for B, you will never get there because the wind will push you away, right? So you always need to aim for C in, even in order to get to B, right? And so I, I think hope, active hope, you know, it's not a guarantee. Like, I'm, I don't know if we will succeed or not, right? But the realistic hope is something that mobilizes your energy and that it will give you more chance to survive and thrive than if you don't have it. But it has to be grounded, right? So I, I'm in for like non-utopian utopia in a way. 
And that's why I focus on concrete utopias, like people are actually trying out things. And so you know that this is real. This could work. It works for them. It might work for more other people, right? That's the kind of idea. So let's look at all the good stuff that people are doing today. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know, amongst this sea of bad news and, and, and this, this integration. Yeah, well, it's, you know, I absolutely agree. For me, hope, the pos- hope as in the sense of, yes, we, it is possible to create something better. Let's find how. Is, it has to be the foundation of, you know, how we, we approach our lives. And I think hope is probably a pretty pretty good uh, concluding piece there. I mean, you could spend forever and sort of delving deep because there is obviously great depth to your structures and your thinking. But where, if people want to find your curation and the things that you share and you write, what's uh, where's the best places for them to go? Okay, so the central group is on Facebook. It's called Open P2P. So if you do that in the search box, you'll find it. And then the second is wiki.p2pfoundation.net. And there on the main page of the wiki, you will see our structure. And you know the, the, middle, the middle layer has all the topics that we cover in the wiki. And then, you know, I, I wrote quite a few things. So if, if you're interested, you, you know, just look it up in Google and under my name, you'll, you'll find various reports uh, that, you know, the thermodynamics of peer production, P2P accounting for planetary survival, mutualizing urban provisioning systems. Um, so I have these, these kind of like synthetic reports that you can... Uh, you can uh, look for. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, some fantastic resources that you have compiled and shared and created. So thank you for uh, your contributions, Michel. Yeah, thank you, Ross. Thank you for interviewing me and, and you know, reconnecting. And, and I know you're the, you know, we're, we're more or less the same, you know, in trying to curate and, 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 and open up the minds, right? I think that's, that's what you try to do as well is open, opening up minds, keeping, Keeping our societies tolerant, uh, and and you know that we can learn from each other. Nobody has the truth. Absolutely. Absolutely, we all have part of the truth. And the more perspectives we combine, the more light we can shine on an object. Absolutely, yeah. And that's that's so that's and I think that that part of that thriving and overload. We live in a world of overload. And that thriving is a collective thing, as of course all of your work focuses on. So thank you so much, Michel. Yeah, thanks, Ross. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com, where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.